Lord God, we come tonight <clears throat> uh, worshiping you as the song is, uh, sets a stage for us to understand who we are, why we're here on this earth, and why we're here in this room. We're here, Lord, to glorify you, worship you, and give you what is rightfully yours, all the glory that the universe can provide. Lord, I pray that the same thing would continue now as uh, I humbly offer some more insight into what you've done in my life and the lives of some of the people around me. God, it's all about you, and it's not about us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, my opening scripture is going to be from 1 Timothy. I think that will pop up on the screen here shortly. This has to do with contentment. And while I turn there, if you want to turn there, you can, but it's up on the screen. This is all from the uh, ESV. Right now, as, uh, as we're in this room, there's a class going on down the hallway, and when they're learning about taking care of your finances. And one of the things when it comes to finances that we have to learn is something called contentment. So let's look a bit there in chapter 6 where Paul is speaking to his spiritual son, Timothy. And in verse uh, 6 he begins, well, I, I need to back this up a little bit. We need to find that what he's talking about here in, in this section. And he's speaking, uh, starting in about verse 3, about spiritual uh, teachers, uh, someone who teaches something different, a false teacher, basically. <clears throat> and uh, he goes on and, and, and continues to say things about them. And he says in verse 6, Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can, cannot take anything out of the world. But if we had food and clothing, with this we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. And it goes on to say that a very familiar verse, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. Here he's talking specifically about uh, false teachers, and this is usually their ruin, as they are in it for the money. <clears throat> now today, or tonight I should say, as an addendum to my last week's testimony, I'm going to offer some thoughts about a change of heart and being content. Now, a quick rundown from last week. Uh, you remember I, I mused that uh, perhaps uh, we could compare Jacob's three major dwelling places, which were Padamaram, which is in near Mesopotamia, in his adult life, that is, Canaan, where he came back to, and eventually Egypt could be uh, viewed as his spiritual journey. Uh, and he, he went from God's man living in the flesh to God's man fighting in his own strength in Canaan and finally uh, God's man walking by faith in Egypt. <clears throat> now he was God's man because God chose him very early on. We can see that easily in Genesis. And many of us are chosen by God very early in life uh, for a specific task. We don't always cooperate. Jacob didn't either. He wasn't too cooperative at many times. <clears throat> so continuing uh, on the same progression, uh, I related my spiritual journey, uh, the things that happened 
it, to me from my uh, youth on up and how I had uh, been humbled by God and, and I had learned a lot of things uh, trying to do it my way. And this is not the way to do things. Doing it our way never seems to work out real well. Now, <clears throat> don't misunderstand. Again, I'm, I'm not trying to say that if I say I've learned to walk by faith, that I am completely walking by faith in every aspect, or that I've reached some high spiritual pinnacle, or that I've, I'm, I'm arrived and gotten there. It's not really the case at all. It's just a progression. It's always a progressive thing. If uh, the Apostle Paul never arrived, uh, that certainly leaves me way down on the achievement list. <clears throat> now, I did change my approach, though. In other words, I'm not doing things the way I had once done them. Uh, now, how did my approach change? Well, I dare say it got, got that way by a changed heart and learning contentment from God. Now, am I completely content in every aspect of my life? Uh, no. Am I always content with everything? No. But I am journeying along that pathway. Contentment is, as, as Paul has said to his spiritual son, Timothy, uh, very good gain. That's something you should desire. It's contentment. It's very easy to insist on doing things yourself. You know how it is with a little kid, you know. Mommy, I do it. I do it. I do it. <clears throat> we always want to do it our way. But as we journey along this Christian life, we begin to discover that our way is not necessarily the best way. But God always has a good plan. Somewhere along the way, I began to pray something like this in certain situations. Something says along the lines of, Lord, this way seems like it's right to me, but, or this thing that I'm pursuing or want seems to be right, but it's all right for you to change my heart. It's okay. I don't, you know, I'm not going to insist on my way. And there's been many times that my heart and attitude have been changed. God has changed them. And this or that thing that seems so important no longer has the same appeal that it used to. And I believe that spiritual fruit, and if we, could, we find that in Galatians 5, 22 and 24, is closely related to a changed heart, a change of heart and contentment. And it, we have it in front of us there. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And if you're familiar with that passage, you also know just prior to that, he listed what the fruit of the flesh is. You know, what is the flesh after? And it's not these things, folks. <clears throat> and I believe these are related to a change of heart and content, on contentment. If your heart changes and God changes you, and you find contentment with what he has given you, then these spiritual fruits are those that uh, uh, you'll find. <clears throat> it goes on to say, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Paul gives us an example in Philippians 4, 10 through 13. He's telling the Philippian people there, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have re revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you 
had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever condition I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance, and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, of course, sometimes this last part gets pulled out of context, and people say, I can do everything. There's nothing I can't do. That's not what Paul's saying here. He's saying he can do all the above things through Christ who strengthens me. <clears throat> He's talking about hunger and, and sometimes an abundance and whatever comes along, whatever God gives me, I can do these things through him who strengthens me. Now, we have to define what contentment is. Contentment is not getting what you want, but rather wanting what you get. If, if you don't like what you are given, a change of heart could lead to contentment. That's possible, you know. <clears throat> Some change, changes of heart occur quickly, and perhaps this was your particular conversion experience. It was mine, but keep in mind that uh, the way God deals with people, you and I, are not necessarily the same way he deals with everyone. <clears throat> As an example, some come to Jesus at a service. Maybe they go to a, a church service, maybe they go to an evangelistic thing and they come to Christ. This, <clears throat> but others come by individual witness. Uh, I've seen where surveys show that the, the individual witness is the most common method that people you come to Christ by. Even if you come to him through the service, much preparation may have gone on by friends and family and others around you, preparing you for that, that moment uh, when the preaching of the word convinced you that you should give your heart to him. Some sow, some water, but it's God that gives the increase. Now, I remember some time back, uh, this has to go away because I was in a college group, I wasn't exactly in college, but I was, at the time, uh, was in that general age bracket and was uh, working and was not uh, married at the time. And we had a group leader, and this guy had come to faith by someone who just basically got in his face and wouldn't back off until he yielded and gave a confession of faith. Well, that's all right. Everybody comes to Christ a different way. As I said earlier, uh, we all have different stories of our salvation experience. The problem arose that this fellow thought that that was the only way anybody would ever come to Christ. So what he had set up was, uh, that's what we're going to do. We're going to go out and get in people's faces and, and just wear them down. Now, ha have you heard of people that gave a false confession to some major crime, such as murder or something? And we say, how could he possibly confess to something you didn't do? But we know it does happen. Uh, these people are, are, are pressured and under a lot of duress. And eventually, just to, just to get out of there, they'll say whatever the, uh, the person interviewing wants them to say, just so they can get loose. They've given a false confession. And I felt, in many cases, that was going on and under these circumstances, that Here's this poor guy that uh, got roped into coming to some activity, and some, he's sitting there in a chair of somebody wiggling around, looking around, trying to get casting 
glances at his watch, trying to wonder what's going on. Some guy's sitting there just wearing on him. <clears throat> and he really doesn't give a hoot about what this guy's saying. He just feels really uncomfortable. And many times I think that's what happens. They get a, give a false confession. They don't have to worry about going to jail for it. They're not even confessed to a major crime. <clears throat> so I couldn't do that. I, was, I did not think that was going to work real well. But apparently a few people are indeed uh, brought to Christ that way. So I can't say it's the wrong way, but it certainly isn't a comfortable way for, for me. I just couldn't see how that's done. Now, I want to address contentment in a, in a practical way. Uh, praying for contentment in general is, is good. However, um, you know, that's where you say, Lord, make me content. It's kind of open-ended. Uh, I believe it should be more specific. Uh, now, please understand it's God that's at work here. <clears throat> and all the way through this, I want, want that to be, be known. That, uh, it's not me. I'm not trying to say that this is the, the right way you should do everything. But contentment in specific areas may be the most effective road to contentment in general. And as I said before, it, it doesn't mean I've arrived. I'm not there necessarily, but I have learned in a few cases uh, what this means. <clears throat> and I, I'd like to share an example of uh, or two that, in which God has given me contentment. Now, of course, I need to first decide what area of life, uh, if I'm going to pray for contentment, I should worry about. How should one find out what area God would have us seeking contentment. <clears throat> we have to remember, God is the one here that's going to uh, can change hearts. Uh, well, you, one place you can go is Scripture. It's pretty hard to beat Scripture for finding out what to do. What does God command us to do? Maybe that's a good starting point for where I should be content. <clears throat> one of the examples I'd like to give here is that under, in our society and culture, there's a tremendous pressure on family and marriage. Uh, we see this, it just beat into us all the time about how things should work. And we come to uh, assimilate that. Uh, our culture says that, uh, you know, since divorce is easy and acceptable, uh, there's a lot of pressure here. Uh, if, if you're not getting along with your, your mate, well, you know, it's okay to separate and go your separate ways and find your true soulmate. How many of we hear that one? Now, <clears throat> uh, this is pretty much in direct conflict with what God's word says. If both people involved in this are Christians, uh, then the Christian uh, partner may not, excuse me, I should, I should back that one up. Uh, if both parties are not Christians, then the Christian partner may not have enough control to keep it together. And there's certainly other circumstances where uh, divorce will come along uh, and you can do nothing to prevent it. There's a lot of cases where there's one partner that's a Christian and one that's not. But what I'm specifically getting at here is if you have two Christian people uh, that married as Christians, which I have to say happened in my life, their desire from the beginning should be let's keep this thing together. This is what honors God. So how do you how do you make sure that that happens? Well, in, in my life, I began to see that there were so many people were wandering off with others and getting involved. And so I began to 
I began to pray, God, I, I don't want this to happen in my life. What I want to happen is I want to honor you with my marriage. And so keep me satisfied with my sweet wife. May I never seek any satisfaction anywhere else from anyone else other than her. This is what I should do. Change my heart. Make sure I don't wander from this. And I think since that's God's plan, it's in his word, he honored that. <clears throat> so I pray frequently that I'll find everything I need in my sweet little wife sitting in the third row there. <laughs> and it's been 50 years now and counting, and we're <clears throat> quite happy together, and God has been faithful. <clears throat> my heart has been changed over the years that, so that I would desire only that woman. Now, sometimes we have to have our water changed. What in the world is a water? You know, I want this and I want that. I desire this and I desire that. That's your wanter. Uh, be careful what you want. Sometimes you get it, and it's not what it's cracked up to be. <clears throat> this is where the contentment comes in, uh, in a little more realistic point of view. Sometimes I, I find it uh, when, I, when I pray, you know, should I have this? Uh, should I pursue this? Is this something I want? Uh, and I, I give God permission to change my heart. You know, God, you know, this is, if this isn't right, I don't want anything to do with it. Change my heart. And many times I've had my heart changed. Suddenly the, this thing that I was pursuing doesn't look so important anymore. It doesn't look like it's something exciting that I need. Now, just what things are they that we should pursue? Well, you can eliminate some stuff. You know, if it's illegal, immoral, or unethical, certainly don't pursue it. It's not, not right. This is not for you. Sometimes uh, during this process, consentment settles in, you know, and you think, I really don't have to do or have this. This just doesn't seem as important as it was. However, most of our culture doesn't follow that. You know, what we're taught, we look at uh, this phrase that comes up frequently when people are up, oh, this is, this is my dream. I can get, you know, my parents told me I could, if I wanted to do something, I could, I could have anything I want or I could do anything, I could be anybody I want to be. This is the, what we call the, I, I call the, uh, the Disney syndrome. <clears throat> and it's really... I think it's a, it's a false thing to say that. Uh, you can do a lot of things, but to, to say I, I, I can be anything I want to be is pretty bold. I find that uh, is not real biblical in, in my brain. <clears throat> Most of our culture is not based on contentment, it's based on discontent. Think about that. Advertising makes the product desirable, easy to obtain, and satisfying. Hmm, sell, sell, sell. This is something I gotta have. Hmm, our, our whole culture has been in that direction. Now what, what has God done in, in my life? Well, he's shown that contentment is great gain. Uh, we look back at uh, 1 Timothy and Paul is telling his son in the faith that uh, some things about false teachers beginning in verse three as we are, looked at earlier <clears throat> and many of us have seen a 
fellow brother or sister in the Lord who indeed wandered from the faith when they pursued wealth and possessions. Of course, wealth and possessions in themselves are not evil, but God materially blesses some of his children. We've seen that. How about, wouldn't it be great to be somebody like Laterno? This was one of those people who turned out to be a uh, very wealthy man, but he was a reverse tither. He lived on 10% of his income, and the rest of 90% went to, to other things. I gotta make sure I didn't skip anything because uh, I, I have a tendency to do that. <clears throat> now, as we, one of my prayers is, Lord, let me want what I am given. And if it's, I can always say that if it's illegal, immoral, unethical, spiteful, or just plain mean, don't do it and don't pursue it. Brother, change, or check in with the, the master heart changer. <clears throat> now, one more uh, that I'd like to share with you is a thing that occurred some years back, and this has to do with what do you do in stressful situations? How do you handle these? Uh, Where does contentment come in when you're under a lot of pressure and stress? <clears throat> and I'll relate a stressful situation you probably, <clears throat> many of you are aware of, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> the frogs are winning. <laughs> and this was uh, some six or seven years ago when my little sweet darling out there in the third row uh, <clears throat> ran into a little physical trouble. Uh, a little background on that one, it was when she grew up uh, from her teenage years on, she had uh, occasional migraine headaches. She had the, the really ugly ones where she would have to go hide in her room somewhere with the lights off for a day while they went away with a, maybe a rag on her head. But as she uh, got older and age did its trick on her, they became less severe and not nearly as frequent. She got to the point where she could have a migraine and fairly well function. She would go take something and, and not a lot of people knew she was there. She didn't have to hide anymore. <clears throat> but some six or so six to seven years ago, it's been probably closer to seven when it got started, but uh, <clears throat> she began to have a migraine almost every day. And this was kind of unusual because we thought they were going away. And <clears throat> as she uh, went through the days, uh, they got a little more frequent and pretty soon she never gets rid of the migraine. She's got one continuous long migraine headache and the intensity of it's beginning to grow. It's getting worse and worse and it's really having a, you know, it's putting her out of commission here. She's not, not becoming very functional at all. And <clears throat> then one day the noise began. And I remember where we were, uh, we were sitting in the, in the room and she looked at me and says, what, who is making all that racket outside? Somebody's pounding on something. I said, I don't hear nothing, <laughs> pounding anything. She says, somebody's doing something. So we went outside and we didn't find anything out there. And then it dawned on her, that's my heartbeat. I can hear my heart really loud in my ear. <laughs> What's going on here? <laughs> in addition to having this terrible migraine headache, she now has this noise. Well, eventually that, progressed even further and it got to the point where 
she became very nauseated and she couldn't consume it, couldn't eat anything. <clears throat> now she's, you know, bedridden and we're, we're really working on this, uh, trying to, you know, what, what do you do here? Uh, hit the panic button? Uh, well, it was kind of, whoa, here I am saying, God, what's going on here? And I got to tell myself, easy, Jerry, you know, come on, give her all the help you can. But remember, God is in control. Don't panic. You can't fix this. This is not something I can fix. And I began to rely on him for, to provide. To provide what? Well, maybe answers. Maybe we'll get some of those, maybe we won't. How about relieve the anxiety? Uh, how about giving me some provision of what to do next? I don't know what to do here. And I learned a lot during that time. And I think she gained a lot also. <clears throat> as time went on, uh, as we went to various doctors and this sort of thing, she was given ever-increasing doses of ever-increasingly powerful meditations, painkillers, uh, and it wasn't doing very much good at all. And to the point where uh, many times uh, when we were going between doctor's offices, we had to put her in a wheelchair because she's not going to be doing too much walking. But God provided. Now, how did he provide? Well, he gave us this in-house medically savvy person to help guide us through the maze of diagnoses. And that is my Camp Zama friend of last week, my daughter, Sandy. <laughs> and uh, she stepped up and said, here, I know how these, these things work. And it hadn't been for her, God providing her in, in our life, I don't know where we would have wound up. Eventually, we got to the point where we got a referral to the UCLA Neurological Clinic. Oh boy, we were all excited over that. That was a total bust. We went there and I said, she's got migraines. Well, that's basically what they said. Uh, I said, this is not a migraine. After another month or so of all this going on and trying to get her to eat things and everything that went down came right back out and that you know, was a lot of that going on. <clears throat> uh, we were referred to Stanford. We got listened to one, one doctor, well, why don't you go to Stanford? The neuro neurology clinic there, they have a headache clinic. We went there and voila, this is God's answer because uh, this guy listened. He had a little intern there with him and he said, put your stethoscope on her head. You hear anything in there? <laughs> And of course, we had taken MRI pictures and stuff on a little disc with us and that sort of thing. And uh, he says, <clears throat> and the little intern says, yeah, it don't sound the same on the right side as it does on the right side. And the blood flow is different or something in there. And so the doctor says, tell you what I want to do. Uh, I want to put her in the hospital, number one, to get her off of this morphine that she's on. <clears throat> we got we to gotta wean her off of that. And then I want to give her a series of MRIs uh, to find out what's going on. I said, well, she already had MRIs. He says, yeah, do it my way, okay? <laughs> We're listening here, and we need to take another look. Well, eventually, to make a long story short, they did indeed uh, put her through a series of MRIs, and they discovered the anomaly. She had what they call an AVM. That stands for arterial venal malformation behind her right eye. And over the years, this is a vascular thing. Uh, there's a lot of vascular problems that occur in the brain, apparently, as I've read up on some of this stuff. 
you know, your third, at least a third of your blood supply is aimed at your head because it consumes a lot of power and there's a lot of blood vessels up there. An arterial venal malformation means that probably during congenital stages of formation, uh, you got a kind of a mass of veins and arteries that are not, are too many, and they get close together, and occasionally they can blow out from one side to the other, which is what happened to her. Some of the symptoms involved, we saw later, which should have been obvious, uh, if it's near the ear, you can hear through the, one of the, if you've got arterial flow in a vein near the ear, you're going to hear your heartbeat, and that's what she did. If you got a our AVM that's leaking like hers was, it can form clots, and you can wind up with things like pulmonary embolisms. Hey, that explains the one that they found in her. Nobody knew where it came from. Ta-da! She was treated for that. That's their first visit in the hospital was for a pulmonary embolism that they found by accident. Any kind of problems you have in the brain it easily can cause nausea. Ta-da. Pain are all associated with vascular things. Well, what we learned is that in our day and age of medical uh, things that go on, anytime they try to do any surgery in the vascular region of the brain, they don't open your head up and do it. They do it with what they call interventional radiology. Uh, they go in with uh, angiograms, which is kind of a continuous snapshots of radar on a screen and uh, I understand that the doctors are taking a pretty good shot of that stuff themselves when they're in there, uh, but it's a, it's a lot of radiation involved and they guide catheters either through the arteries or the veins and they manipulate things and they can fix stuff in your brain in the, in the vascular stuff well out from outside. And that's what they did. Uh, <clears throat> turns out that it was a little worse than they thought it was. They thought they could fix it with super glue. Now, don't laugh. This is a standard procedure for fixing these things, is mixing superglue. But in her case, they said couldn't do it. We had, to, we had to install some extra metal in there. And so they stuck 32 uh, platinum coils in the, in the gap. And I've since then learned that they start with a big one and then they fill it up with little ones until they get it blocked up. And so she's got 32 of those in her head and they backed out. Now, you can see that she's back to normal again. But the recovery period, of course, was a little scary too, and we had to do a lot of praying on that one. You know, Lord, here we are. You found a problem. Praise Jesus. We know what it is, and she's come out of surgery, and she's still kicking. Boy, was she kicking. Wow. <laughs> she said, I thought it was bad before, but right after surgery, I really had a bad headache. And, and I, I won't bore you with any of the details about what they pumped into her to, for the first few days, but it was pretty rough. They did get her off the morphine. It, that took a, a several weeks also. Yep, she was a druggie for a while there. <laughs> but that's very common also, uh, as, of course, we've lately found out. And in her case, we didn't want anything to do with that stuff. You know, get me off of this as fast as you can. I don't like this stuff. She had a couple of remains also. If you, if you remember her for the first few months after she got back and was up again, she was cross-eyed. <laughs> Old cross-eyed Elaine. Uh, but the, one of the other doctors at uh, Stanford said, well, I've seen this before. It just, they damaged the number six optic nerve on that side, and you can't move your eye in that direction, but it'll go away. So give it about three months, three to four months. And sure enough, in a couple of, couple of months, it starts moving. And now she's recovered her sight completely. 
I do have to mention to you that when the doctor came out from the surgery, it was supposed to be a couple hours and it was five and a half. And the first thing he said was, wow, that was technically challenging. That's a little scary. <laughs> Great doctor, though. He's a fine man. Uh, he's really, uh, he, he is, by the way, is now in uh, part of a network involving Marion Hospital. So he came down here and they, they got together so that they don't miss another one of these on an MRI because they missed it over uh, you know, at the local hospital. <clears throat> and he said, by the way, she has another, when we were doing the angiogram, she has another one behind her left eye. And he said, we'll probably have to go fix that one. But they didn't. Once he saw how cross-eyed she was, he said, well, maybe we can do that. <laughs> but she's, she has one on the other side. It doesn't bother her. Um, she's back to normal. But God was good. Now, we were content. The whole point of the story is we were ready to accept whatever God had. My biggest prayer was, Lord, I don't want to see her suffer like this. You know, she's really going through some terrible stuff here. You know, if, if I'm doing something wrong, change my heart. You know, and we had come to the conclusion that whatever God has for her, that's what we'll do. Well, uh, you know, if he takes her, that's God's choice. But give me uh, contentment knowing that she's no longer in pain. That'll be fine. And <clears throat> now, not a day goes by since then that I don't thank him for her recovery. I've also learned some things from this. I thank God for her several times a day. She can vouch for that. <laughs> and we learn to pray together every night. Uh, when, when, when we were going through those really difficult times when we didn't know what was wrong and she was in terrible pain and couldn't, couldn't sleep, <clears throat> we had to leave the light on just slightly. And just before we would turn the light down, now before we turn it off, we started praying together. And we've been doing that ever since then. It's the last thing we do at night is, is, is pray together. And God has changed my heart and the way I look at things. Life looks different than it did 30 years ago or 20 years ago. It's a process, folks. Contentment is something that God desires for us to have, uh, and it's something to be desired. Let's look at Hebrews 13.5, where the author says, Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, with that, I'd like to close in prayer. God, thank you for my sweet wife, for the story of, uh, of her recovery, which is glorifying, not to us or even to the medical people, but to the great God that provided it all. Lord, teach us that life is about you and not us. Teach us, Lord, that our chief aim is to glorify you and enjoy you forever. In Jesus' name, amen.